Chapter Two of By What Authority by Robert Hugh Benson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Hall and the House. Anthony Norris, who was now about fourteen, went up to King's College, Cambridge, in October. He was closeted long with his father the night before he left and received from him much sound religious advice and exhortation and in the morning after an almost broken-hearted good-bye from isabel he rode out with his servant following on another horse and leading a pack-horse on the saddle of which the falcons swayed and staggered and up the curving drive that led round into the village green he was a good-hearted and wholesome-minded boy and left a real ache behind him in the dower house isabel indeed ran up to his room after she had seen his feathered cap disappear at a trot through the gate leaving her father in the hall and after shutting and latching the door threw herself on his bed and sobbed her heart out they had never been long separated before for the last three years he had gone over to the rectory morning by morning to be instructed by mr dent but now although he would never make a great scholar his father thought it well to send him up to cambridge for two or three years that he might learn to find his own level in the world anthony himself was eager to go if the truth must be told he fretted a little against the restraints of even such a moderate puritan household as that of his father's it was a considerable weariness to anthony to kneel in the hall on a fresh morning while his father read even though with fervour and sincerity long extracts from christian prayers and holy meditations collected by the reverend henry bull when the real world as anthony knew it laughed and rippled and twinkled outside in the humming summer air of the lawn and orchard or to have to listen to godly discourses however edifying to elder persons just at the time when the ghost moth was beginning to glimmer in the dusk and the heavy trout who sucked down his supper in the glooming pool in the meadow below the house his very sports too which his father definitely encouraged were obviously displeasing to the grave divines who haunted the house so often from saturday to monday and spoke of high doctrinal matters at meal-times when so anthony thought lighter subjects should prevail they were not interested in his horse and anthony never felt quite the same again towards one good minister who in a moment of severity called eliza the glorious peregrine that sat on the boy's wrist and shook her bells a vanity and so anthony trotted off happy enough on his way to cambridge of which he had heard much from mr dent and where although there too were divines and theology there were boys as well who acted plays hunted with the hounds and did not call high-bred hawks vanities isabel was very different while anthony was cheerful and active like his mother who had died in giving him life she on the other hand was quiet and deep like her father she was growing up if not into actual beauty at least into grace and dignity but there were some who thought her beautiful 
she was pale with dark hair and the great grey eyes of her father and she loved and lived in anthony from the very difference between them she frankly could not understand the attraction of sport and the things that pleased her brother she was afraid of the hawks and liked to stroke a horse and kiss his soft nose better than to ride him but after all anthony liked to watch the towering bird and to hear and indeed increase the thunder of the hoofs across the meadows behind the stomping hawk and so she did her best to like them too and she was often torn two ways by her sympathy for the partridge on the one hand as it sped low and swift across the standing corn with that dread shadow following and her desire on the other hand that anthony should not be disappointed but in the deeper things of the spirit too there was a wide difference between them as anthony fidgeted and sighed through his chair back morning and evening isabel's soul soared up to god on the wings of those sounding phrases she had inherited all her father's tender piety and lived like him on the most intimate terms with the spiritual world and though of course by training she was a puritan by character she was a puritan too as a girl of fourteen she had gone with anthony to see the cleansing of the village temple they had stood together at the west end of the church a little timid at the sight of that noisy crowd in the quiet house of prayer but she had felt no disapproval at that fierce vindication of truth her father had taught her of course that the purest worship was that which was only spiritual and while since childhood she had seen sunday by sunday the great rood overhead she had never paid it any but artistic attention the men had the ropes round it now and it was swaying violently to and fro and then even as the children watched a tie had given and the great cross with its pathetic wide-armed figure had toppled forward towards the nave and then crashed down on the pavement a fanatic ran out and furiously kicked the thorn-crowned head twice splintering the hair and the features and cried out on it as an idol and yet isabel with all her tenderness felt nothing more than a vague regret that a piece of carving so ancient and so delicate should be broken but when the work was over and the crowd and anthony with them had stamped out directed by the justices dragging the figures and the old vestments with them to the green she had seen something which touched her heart much more she passed up alone under the screen which they had spared to see what had been done in the chancel and as she went she heard a sobbing from the corner near the priest's door and there crouched forward on his face crying and moaning quietly was the old priest who had been rector of the church for nearly twenty years he had somehow held on in edward's time in spite of difficulties had thanked god and the court of heaven with a full heart for the accession of mary had prayed and deprecated the divine wrath at the return of the protestant religion with elizabeth 
but yet had somehow managed to keep the old faith alight for eight years more sometimes evading sometimes resisting and sometimes conforming to the march of events in hopes of better days but now the blow had fallen and the old man too ill-instructed to hear the accents of new truth in the shouting of that noisy crowd and the crash of his images was on his knees before the altar where he had daily offered the holy sacrifice through all those troublous years faithful to what he believed to be god's truth now bewailing and moaning the horrors of that day and it is to be feared unchristianly calling down the vengeance of god upon his faithless flock this shocked and touched isabel far more than the destruction of the images and she went forward timidly and said something but the old man turned on her a face of such misery and anger that she had run straight out of the church and joined anthony as he danced on the green on the following sunday the old priest was not there and a fervent young minister from london had taken his place and preached a stirring sermon on the life and times of josiah and isabel had thanked god on her knees after the sermon for that he had once more vindicated his awful name and cleansed his house for a pure worship but the very centre of isabel's religion was the love of the saviour the puritans of those early days were very far from holding a negative or colourless faith not only was their belief delicately dogmatic to excess but it all centred round the person of the lord jesus christ and isabel had drunk in this faith from her father's lips and from devotional books which he gave her as far back as she could remember anything her love for the saviour was even romantic and passionate it seemed to her that he was as much a part of her life and of her actual experience as anthony or her father certain places in the lanes about and certain spots in the garden were sacred and fragrant to her because her lord had met her there it was indeed a trouble to her sometimes that she loved anthony so much and to her mind it was a less worthy kind of love altogether it was kindled and quickened by such little external details by the sight of his boyish hand brown with the sun and scarred by small sporting accidents such as the stroke of his bird's beak or talons or by the very outline of the pillow where his curly head had rested only an hour or two ago whereas her love for christ was a deep and solemn passion that seemed to well not out of his comeliness or even his marred face or pierced hands but out of his wide-encompassing love that sustained and clasped her at every moment of her conscious attention to him and that woke her soul to ecstasy at moments of high communion these two loves then one so earthly one so heavenly but both so sweet 
every now and then seemed to her to be in slight conflict in her heart and lately a third seemed to be rising up out of the plane of sober and quiet affections such as she felt for her father and still further complicating the apparently encountering claims of love to god and man isabel grew quieter in a few minutes and lay still following anthony with her imagination along the lane that led to the london road and then presently she heard her father calling and went to the door to listen isabel he said come down hubert is in the hall she called out that she would be down in a moment and then going across to her own room she washed her face and came downstairs there was a tall pleasant-faced lad of about her own age standing near the open door that led into the garden and he came forward nervously as she entered i came back last night mistress isabel he said and heard that anthony was going this morning but i am afraid i am too late she told him that anthony had just gone yes he said i came to say good-bye but i came by the orchard and so we missed one another isabel asked a word or two about his visit to the north and they talked for a few minutes about a rumour that hubert had heard of a rising on behalf of mary but hubert was shy and constrained and isabel was still a little tremulous at last he said he must be going and then suddenly remembered a message from his mother ah he said i was forgetting my mother wants you to come up this evening if you have time father is away and my aunt is unwell and is upstairs isabel promised she would come father is at chichester went on hubert before the commission but we do not expect him back till to-morrow a shadow passed across isabel's face i'm sorry she said the fact was that sir nicholas had again been summoned for recusancy it was an expensive matter to refuse to attend church and sir nicholas probably paid not less than two hundred pounds or three hundred pounds a year for the privilege of worshipping as his conscience bade in the evening isabel asked her father's leave to be absent after supper and then drawing on her hood walked across in the dusk to the hall hubert was waiting for her at the boundary door between the two properties father's come back he said but my mother wants you still they went on together passed round the cloister wing to the south of the house the bell turret over the inner hall and the crowded roofs stood up against the stars as they came up the curving flight of shallow steps from the garden to the tall doorway that led into the hall it was a pleasant wide high room panelled with fresh oak and hung with a little old tapestry here and there and a few portraits a staircase rose out of it to the upper story it had a fret ceiling with flower de luce and rose pendants and on the walls between the tapestries hung a few antlers and pieces of armour morions and breastplates with a pair of pikes or halberds here and there a fire had been lighted in the great hearth as the evenings were chilly and sir nicholas was standing before it still in his riding dress pouring out resentment and fury to his wife who sat in a tall chair at her embroidery 
she turned silently and held out a hand to isabel who came and stood beside her while hubert went and sat down near his father sir nicholas scarcely seemed to notice their entrance beyond glancing up for a moment under his fierce white eyebrows but went on growling out his wrath he was a fine rosy man with a grey moustache and pointed beard and a thick head of hair and he held in his hand his flat riding cap and his whip with which from time to time he cut at his boot it was monstrous i told the fellow that a man should be hailed from his home like this to pay a price for his conscience the religion of my father and his father and all our fathers was good enough for me and why in god's name should the catholic have to pay who had never changed his faith while every heretic went free and then to that some stripling of a clerk told me that a religion that was good enough for the queen's grace should be good enough for her loyal subjects too but my lord silenced him quickly and then i went at them again and all my lord would do was to nod his head and smile at me as if i were a child and then he told me that it was a special commission all for my sake and sir arthur's who was there too my dear well well the end was that i had to pay for their cursed religion sweetheart sweetheart said lady maxwell glancing at isabel well i paid went on sir nicholas but i showed them thank god what i was for as we came out sir arthur and i together what should we see but another party coming in pursuivant and all and in the mid of them that priest who was with us last july well well we'll leave his name alone him that said he was a priest before them all in september and i went down on my knees thank god and sir arthur went down on his and we asked his blessing before them all and he gave it us and oh my lord was red and white with passion that was not wise sweetheart said lady maxwell tranquilly the priest will have suffered for it afterwards well well grumbled sir nicholas a man cannot always think but we showed them that catholics were not ashamed of their religion yes and we got the blessing too well but here is supper waiting said my lady and isabel too whom you have not spoken to yet sir nicholas paid no attention ah but that was not all he went on savagely striking his boot again at the end of all who should i see but that that damned rogue whom god reward and he turned and spat into the fire topcliffe there he was bowing to my lord and the commissioners when i think of that man he said when i think of that man and sir nicholas kindly old passionate face grew pale and lowering with fury and his eyebrows bent themselves forward and his lower lip pushed itself out and his hand closed tremblingly on his whip his wife laid down her embroidery and came to him there sweetheart she said taking his cap and whip now sit down and have supper and leave that man to god sir nicholas grew quiet again and after saying a word or two of apology to isabel left the room to wash before he sat down to supper 
Mistress Isabel does not know who Topcliffe is, said Hubert. Hush, my son, said his mother. Your father does not like his name to be spoken. Presently Sir Nicholas returned and sat down to supper. Gradually his good nature returned, and he told them what he had seen in Chichester, and the talk he had heard, how it was reported to his lordship the bishop that the old religion was still the religion of the people's hearts, how, for example, at Lindfield they had all the images and the altar furniture hidden underground, and at battle too, and that the mass could be set up again at a few hours' notice and that the chalices had not been melted down into communion cups according to the orders issued and so on and that at west grinstead moreover the blessed sacrament was there still praise god yes and was going to remain there he spoke freely before isabel and yet he remembered his courtesy too and did not abuse the new-fangled religion as he thought it in her presence or seek in any way to trouble her mind if ever in an excess of anger he was carried away in his talk his wife would always check him gently and he would always respond and apologize to isabel if he had transgressed good manners in fact he was just a fiery old man who could not change his religion even at the bidding of his monarch and could not understand how what was right twenty years ago was wrong now Isabel herself listened with patience and tenderness, and awe, too, because she loved and honoured this old man, in spite of the darkness in which he still walked. He also told them, in lower tones, of a rumour that was persistent at Chichester, that the Duke of Norfolk had been imprisoned by the Queen's orders, and was to be charged with treason and that he was at present at burnham in mr wentworth's house under the guard of sir henry neville if this was true as indeed it turned out to be later it was another blow to the catholic cause in england but sir nicholas was of a sanguine mind and pooh-poohed the whole affair even while he related it and so the evening passed in talk when sir nicholas had finished supper they all went upstairs to my lady's withdrawing-room on the first floor this was always a strange and beautiful room to isabel it was panelled like the room below but was more delicately furnished and a tall harp stood near the window to which my lady sang sometimes in a sweet tremulous old voice while sir nicholas nodded at the fire isabel too had had some lessons here from the old lady but even this mild vanity troubled her puritan conscience a little sometimes then the room too had curious and attractive things in it a high niche in the oak over the fireplace held a slender image of mary and her holy child and from the child's fingers hung a pair of beads isabel had a strange sense sometimes as if this holy couple had taken refuge in that niche when they were driven from the church but it seemed to her in her steadier moods that this was a superstitious fancy and had the nature of sin this evening the old lady went to her harp while isabel sat down near her in the wide window-seat and looked out over the dark lawn where the white dial glimmered like a phantom and thought of anthony again sir nicholas went and stretched himself before the fire and closed his eyes for he was old and tired with his long ride 
and hubert sat down in a dark corner near him whence he could watch isabel after a few rippling chords my lady began to sing a song by sir thomas wyatt whom she and sir nicholas had known in their youth and which she had caused to be set to music by some foreign chapel-master it was a sorrowful little song with the title he seeketh comfort in patience and possibly she chose it on purpose for this evening patience for i have wrong and dare not show wherein patience shall be my song since truth can nothing win patience then for this fit hereafter comes not yet while she sang she thought no doubt of the foolish brave courtier who lacked patience in spite of his singing and lost his head for it her voice shook once or twice and old sir nicholas shook his drowsy head when she had finished and said god rest him and then fell fast asleep then he presently awoke as the others talked in whispers and joined in too and they talked of anthony and what he would find at cambridge and of alderman marrett and his house off cheapside where anthony would lie that night and of such small and tranquil topics and left fiercer questions alone and so the evening came to an end and isabel said good-night and went downstairs with hubert and out into the garden again i am sorry that sir nicholas has been so troubled she said to hubert as they turned the corner of the house together why cannot we leave one another alone and each worship god as we think fit hubert smiled in the darkness to himself i'm afraid queen mary did not think it could be done either he said but then mistress isabel he went on i am glad that you feel that religion should not divide people surely not she said so long as they love god then you think began hubert and then stopped isabel turned to him yes she asked nothing said hubert they had reached the door in the boundary wall by now and isabel would not let him come further with her and bade him good-night but hubert still stood with his hand on the door and watched the white figure fade into the dusk and listened to the faint rustle of her skirt over the dry leaves and then when he heard at last the door of the dower house open and close he sighed to himself and went home isabel heard her father call from his room as she passed through the hall and went in to him as he sat at his table in his furred gown with his books about him to bid him good-night and receive his blessing he lifted his hand for a moment to finish the sentence he was writing and she stood watching the quill move and pause and move again over the paper in the candlelight until he laid the pen down and rose and stood with his back to the fire smiling down at her he was a tall slender man surprisingly upright for his age with a delicate bearded scholar's face the little plain ruff round his neck helped to emphasize the fine sensitiveness of his features and the hands which he stretched out to his daughter were thin and veined well my daughter 
he said, looking down at her with his kindly grey eyes so like her own, and holding her hands. "'Have you had a good evening, sir?' she asked. He nodded briskly. "'And you, child?' he asked. "'Yes, sir,' she said, smiling up at him. "'And was Sir Nicholas there?' She told him what had passed, and how Sir Nicholas had been fined again for his recusancy, and how Lady Maxwell had sung one of Sir Thomas Wyatt's songs. "'And was no one else there?' he asked. "'Yes, father. Hubert.' ah and did hubert come home with you only as far as the gate father i would not let him come further her father said nothing but still looked steadily down into her eyes for a moment and then turned and looked away from her into the fire you must take care he said gently remember he is a papist born and bred and that he has a heart to be broken too she felt herself steadily flushing and as he turned again towards her dropped her eyes you will be prudent and tender i know he added i trust you wholly isabel then he kissed her on the forehead and laid his hand on her head and looked up as the puritan manner was may the god of grace bless you my daughter and make you faithful to the end and then he looked into her eyes again smiled and nodded and she went out, leaving him standing there. Mr. Norris had begun to fear that the boy loved Isabel, but as yet he did not know whether Isabel understood it or even was aware of it. The marriage difficulties of Catholics and Protestants were scarcely yet existing, and certainly there was no formulated rule of dealing with them changes of religion were so frequent in those days that difficulties when they did arise easily adjusted themselves it was considered for example by politicians quite possible at one time that the duke of anjou should conform to the church of england for the sake of marrying the queen or that he should attend public services with her and at the same time have mass and the sacraments in his own private chapel or again it was open to question whether england as a whole would not return to the old religion and catholicism be the only tolerated faith but to really religious minds such solutions would not do it would have been an intolerable thought to this sincere puritan with all his tolerance that his daughter should marry a catholic such an arrangement would mean either that she was indifferent to vital religion or that she was married to a man whose creed she was bound to abhor and anathematize and however willing mr norris might be to meet papists on terms of social friendliness and however much he might respect their personal characters yet the thought that the life of any one dear to him should be irretrievably bound up with all that the catholic creed involved was simply an impossible one besides all this he had no great opinion of hubert he thought he detected in him a carelessness and want of principle that would make him hesitate to trust his daughter to him even if the insuperable barrier of religion were surmounted mr norris liked a man to be consistent and zealous for his creed even if that creed were dark and superstitious and this zeal seemed to him lamentably lacking in hubert 
more than once he had heard the boy speak of his father with an air of easy indulgence that his own opinion interpreted as contempt i believe my father thinks he had once said that every penny he pays in fines goes to swell the accidental glory of god and hubert had been considerably startled and distressed when the elder man had told him to hold his tongue unless he could speak respectfully of one to whom he owed nothing but love and honour this had happened however more than a year ago and hubert had forgotten it no doubt even if mr norris had not and as for isabel it is exceedingly difficult to say quite what place hubert occupied in her mind she certainly did not know herself much more than that she liked the boy to be near her to hear his footsteps coming along the path from the hall this morning when her father had called up to her that hubert was come it was not so hard to dry her eyes for anthony's departure the clouds had parted a little when she came and found this tall lad smiling shyly at her in the hall as she had sat in the window-seat too during lady maxwell's singing she was far from unconscious that hubert's face was looking at her from the dark corner and as they walked back together her simplicity was not quite so transparent as the boy himself thought again when her father had begun to speak of him just now although she was able to meet his eyes steadily and smilingly yet it was just an effort she had not mentioned hubert herself until her father had named him and in fact it is probably safe to say that during hubert's visit to the north which had lasted three or four months he had made greater progress towards his goal and had begun to loom larger than ever in the heart of this serene grey-eyed girl whom he longed for so irresistibly and now as isabel sat on her bed before kneeling to say her prayers hubert was in her mind even more than anthony she tried to wonder what her father meant and yet only too well she knew that she knew she had forgotten to look into anthony's room where she had cried so bitterly this morning and now she sat wide-eyed and self-questioning as to whether her heavenly love were as lucid and single as it had been and when at last she went down on her knees she entreated the king of love to bless not only her father and her brother anthony who lay under the alderman's roof in far-away london but sir nicholas and lady maxwell and mistress margaret hallam and and hubert and james maxwell his brother and to bring them out of the darkness of papistry into the glorious liberty of the children of the gospel end of chapter two